Lord, people ask you all sorts of questions and your responses nearly always came back in a way they didn't expect. Now speak to us this morning in ways that we're not expecting as well, that we might hear your voice clearly and respond and enter more fully into the life you promised to us. In your precious name. Amen. Greed is a really interesting topic for our culture because it seems to me that greed is nearly at epidemic proportions in certain parts of the materialist West. We now have more stuff than we've ever had before and there's little indication that our culture's voracious appetite for more and more stuff is abating in any way. Maybe in certain places, maybe the more enlightened, I'm not sure, but uh, it does beg the question, when is enough enough? When Jesus is asked this question, and we could talk a lot about what the nature of the question was, was the older brother going to inherit everything and the younger brother's asking the question, you know, I want half, it's not fair. We're not going to bother with that conversation this morning because I'm really struck by the fact that Jesus says, beware of greed. It's like it's an aggressor. Now, are you, are you on your guard against alien invasion at the moment? Not so much? No, it's not a high risk, is it? You don't kind of expect that maybe the, some of you might. I don't want to be offensive, but uh, most of us not really on our guard against that. But if you walk down to uh, Chinatown and you cross the light rail, will, be, will you be on your guard against trams coming? Yeah, because there's a much higher likelihood. And our uh, alertness resources are finite and we don't waste them on things that are not a real threat. So we don't walk around being worried about a bunch of things that we don't consider to be a threat to us. And yet Jesus says, use some of your finite uh, on-your-guard resources to be on your guard against greed. It's like it's an aggressor. Uh, We need to be vigilant against it. Now, when I used to think about greed, I thought it was something that arose from within me. But this makes it sound much more like it's something that comes from outside and captures me. Uh, it, uh, it's sort of like if you're unsuspecting, it will overtake you in some way. I liken it a little bit to the zombie death drive. Are you familiar with the zombie death drive? You've seen the zombie films? I'm not a big fan of zombie films. They actually freak me out somewhat. But what I know about zombies from my children is that... Um, they have this kind of, they're the undead, they're sort of not alive and not dead and they want to eat your brains and they they walk around like this, brains, brains, brains and um, you can't stop them because if you, you know, chop off their arm for example, they don't care, they just do it with one hand, brains, brains, brains and they're they're voracious, you can't stop them, they just keep going until somehow they get dismembered completely or something. It's a dehumanising thing. You still have the human form. There's still a body with arms and legs and a head and a voice and all this sort of stuff, but you're no longer a human being. That's, that's the zombie, and it just keeps going and going and going. They kind of get that look in their eyes. Brains, okay? So you get the picture, don't you? Yeah. Greed can be a bit like that as a virus, where we 
lose the capacity to see other people for who they are and start to see them as something that we can almost feed on, that offer us something that we want to consume. And we can have that same faraway look in our eyes sometimes. Uh, Other people only interest us to the extent that we can consume something of them or something that they've got for us. And we get this virus that creates almost like a vacuum within us, an emptiness inside that wants to consume more and more and it doesn't matter how much we put in there, there is always a desire for more. Which raises a question about possessions. With possessions, who's possessing who? There's a lovely old story about a fisherman who's... um, sitting on the dock in the sun, just sitting back, having his pipe. And this guy from the city comes up and says, oh, you've got a life, sitting there in the sun. He goes, oh, no, no, I'm a fisherman. That's me boat there, I've been doing my fishing. He goes, well, why are you sitting around? You could go out and catch some more fish. He goes, well, why would I want to do that then? He said, well, if you caught more fish, you'd make more money. Well, why would I want to be doing that then? He said, well, if you got more money... You could buy a bigger boat. Well, what am I going to be doing with a bigger boat? Well, you've got a bigger boat. You could catch even more fish. So why would I want to be doing that? Well, if you caught even more fish, you'd make more money. You could buy a fleet of boats. What would I be doing with a fleet of boats? Well, you could catch so many fish that you'd become so wealthy, you could retire and sit back and relax. He says, what do you think I'm doing now? Boom, boom. Okay. Thank you. There is a sense sometimes with this race for stuff, we lose sight of what it's for. And it's almost that sinks into the background and we just feel this need to keep going and going after something and we're not sure what the end game is. In fact, some people, and I, I know the family of a man like this who is in his mid-90s now and still working as hard as he possibly can because, in fact, that's all he knows how to do now. Now, work is a good thing, don't get me wrong, but there are other things in life as well and when we're working out of a sense of fear or emptiness, that can be a bit of a problem. Of course, wealth is power and... um, when we accumulate wealth, it functions as a store of power for us and we can use it to persuade people to do things for us that they wouldn't otherwise do. You know, that's what the exchange is at the shops. I want one of those. Well, I'm going to persuade you to give me one by giving you this money and then, you know. So that's what we do with our money. We persuade people to do things that they wouldn't otherwise necessarily do for us. And you can never have too much of that power, can you? How great to be able to persuade the world. Look at Donald Trump. He's persuaded half of the world that he should be president. Yeah, it takes a lot of money. Um, Depending on your politics, of course. But can you have too much of that kind of power? Can you have too much power to persuade other people with extrinsic motivation? We're going to look at that in a moment. A close friend of greed, of course, is fear. So greed is that constant desire to consume and get more and so forth. And close at hand with greed is fear. 
Fear that I'm not going to have enough. Fear that I'm going to miss out. That kind of fear. And it's easier with fear because we can convince ourselves that we're not being selfish, we're being responsible. We're we're making allowance for the future and all this kind of thing. And the challenge here is there's no absolute category. You can't can't determine when someone's being selfish and when someone's being responsible or when someone's being absolutely fine or when they're being greedy. These are sliding things and really it's a posture within our own heart that determines that. And Paul doesn't make it any easier when he's writing his letters. In Galatians he says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfil the law of Christ. So, you know, share along and help each other out and all that kind of thing. And then to the Thessalonians, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands and don't be in any need. Don't be a burden to anybody. So share each other's burdens, but don't be a burden to anybody. And so there's a lot of give and take in all of this. So how can we know when enough is enough? How do we know how much to share and how much to store? The real question, I think, is what is real wealth? See, nobody I know has set out to be a fool. You don't hear people when they're talking about what they want to be when they grow up say, I think I'll be a fool. That sounds like a great thing to be, yeah. Let's be a fool. No. People don't set out to be a fool, yet the guy in this story turns out to be a fool. So you don't set out to be a fool, but you can turn out to be a fool. And it happens in a very gentle, sneaking kind of way. And I think it flows from our faith, where we are putting our trust, in fact. The fool is the one who leaves God out of the meaningful decisions of their life and just gets caught up with the material stuff. The fool is the one who thinks that their own life consists simply in themselves and how they can satisfy themselves. It's a failure to perceive a horizon line any further than the end of your nose. That's the fool. But sometimes we make fools our role models. In fact, in our culture today, the guy that is tearing down his barns to build bigger ones is frequently held up as who we ought to be as well. And uh, this is a startling thing for many of us. Uh, Many of us aspire to be in the place where we're getting bigger and better things all the time. And we think that that is wisdom. We pour out our lives in anticipation of one day hoping to get enough to really live. And we are fools because life is taken away from us far too soon. And really it is incumbent on us to live every single day fully in the fullness of the kingdom with those values I'm not referring to being self-indulgent or hedonistic or anything like that, but entering into your life, not putting it off to the never-never as if it will come one day when you have enough. See, eternal values are eternally valuable. They've always been valuable 
they're valuable now and they will be valuable until the end of time and beyond, I believe. These are the things that hold their value through the ages. They're not passing fads like Pokemon Go. You know? Pokemon Go is really valuable at the moment, but it won't be in about 10 minutes. You know, the iPhone, fantastic, but it's already on the wane. You know? There's all sorts of things you could name that have their value, that have their moment in the sun. Those are not the eternal valuables. It's not the thrills of the stock market or the power politics. Life is actually found, the eternal valuables are found in our relationships. And we all know this. This is not rocket science. This is not a mystery, really. It's found in our community networks. It's found in the people that we love. Life is found in our power and desire to contribute in the blessing of other people's lives and offering the good things we have to offer to the communities of which we are a part. That's where the value is. That's when we know we're fully alive and feel the goodness of it. Life is never found in our possessions. We know that. Of course we know that. It's found in the people who hold us and who we have the the privilege to hold in our hearts. Part of the challenge is that um, for many of us, it's very difficult to be vulnerable enough to allow people to love us. That's actually the bigger challenge for many of us. We like to be so secure, so strong. We like to have no need. We like to be the ones that are always giving. And we struggle in the area of being vulnerable, of actually allowing love to come to us. What if we become vulnerable and nobody does love us? That's the scary part of that equation. It's risky. But the call of Jesus is to live into these meaningful relationships fully and freely and to do it in an ever-broadening circle. So we all know how to love those who are closest to us and those of us who are privileged to be part of this group, we know how to love a wider community and maybe we've got other networks that we can love and maybe we love Australians as well. But you know, when we really push it out, we're part of this thing called humanity and Jesus invites us to love everybody. That's tough. But that's where we enter into the fullest, deepest, unbridled life where we can do good to all and to any, to hold more and more of the world in our hearts and to have more and more of the world be genuinely glad that we exist as well. That's, that's the glory, that's the good bit. So hear Jesus' warning, beware of greed in all its forms. It's an aggressor, it's out to get you and it doesn't care about you. Greed appears to promise fullness and abundance but delivers only vacuous emptiness and dissatisfaction. The jury is in on that, by the way. It's true. Our life is never found in what we possess. Real wealth is all around us to discover in the relationships, in the people, in the networks of which we're a part. And the ultimate gesture of freedom in a culture like ours is generosity. That's when we say our possessions don't possess us, but they are ours to dispose of as we will generosity. 
and I know you people are generous. Generous towards the people we live with every day. Generous in the way we want to be a blessing to the whole world. And generous in our willingness to be vulnerable in order to receive love as well. This is the call of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you call us into life. You alert us to those things that don't give us life. There's a sense in which you don't have a dog in that fight. People can make their choices and they will discover what they will discover. But we thank you for your wisdom and your call and that you stand as the example above all examples of how to live fully and freely, letting go of that which has no value and sowing into that which is of eternal value to the glory of your name. Amen.